0: Father, we consider what you've done in the world, in your creation, your might, your wisdom, your power. We consider what you've done in revealing yourself in your word and preserving your word for us even thousands of years later to benefit from as we consider what you've done and look to your word. Oh God, would you increase our faith Would you cause us to trust you more, to see you more clearly? Would you cause us all to to look and see and hear what you've done for us through your word? We need it. We are so desperate to see it. We can't see it without you moving and answering this very prayer, God. So would you help us to see what you've done? Would you help each and every one of us to benefit from your holy and inspired word? We say this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the primary problem that Paul addresses in his letter of Galatians, I'm going to remind you because it's been a little bit since we've last been in the letter, is that the Christians in the churches of Galatia had forgotten the gospel? Hence, the title of our series, Gospel Centered Justification, because Paul was writing to warn and correct and to call them back and remind them once again of the gospel that he had preached originally. We need those reminders here this day and every single day and every single week because I'm convinced that this is a message that is vitally needed in our churches today, all over the place. But even in this specific local church here at First Baptist Church, because sadly so many Christians can get swept away to the same problems that we see here in this letter to the Galatians. The Christians in the churches were being lured away by false teachers and a false message. And you see, they began acting almost as if they had graduated from the gospel and moved on to bigger and better things. I ask you today, church, have you forgotten the gospel? Have you received your diploma, maybe, when you were baptized or when you checked off some boxes in the Christian life and then just kind of moved on? Been there, done that, you may have thought. I've heard that message before. As Scott brought out the last time that we gathered, we can sometimes take for granted the good news of the gospel, can't we? You may even be offended that I would even suggest that there are people here who would forget the gospel. You might be thinking, I've come to church, I come to church, I'm here. uh, What else do you want from me, Daniel? But the sad thing is, that Christians can oftentimes go from the awe and thanksgiving of their conversions and move on to a rote and mundane daily religious practice. Careless, heartless, joyless, thankless. Or some can go on from the miraculous work of God in our lives to a prideful self sufficiency in our own doing of the Christian life. And sadly, we can move away from relating to God and longing desperately for His grace and receiving His mercy, move on from that to a relating to God in a kind of performance based earning system to make ourselves either pridefully feel really, really good, or, on the other hand, desperately feel really bad about ourselves based on our own performances and works. Jerry Bridges, the author, helpfully brings out this performance trap that Christians can often fall into, and I want to present it to you up front it's a test of sorts that shows us, our answers to this shows us if we're falling into this performance trap category, and he does so by having us think about our good days and our bad days. I want you to think about your good days and your bad days yourself right now as a kind of test to see where you're at and how you're relating to God. God. Think of this, when you have a really good spiritual day, you do your devotions and treat people really nicely and pray. Do you feel really good and worthy about yourself? Bridges asks this question, penetrating question. He says, how good is good enough? And then on the flip side, when you have a bad day, you're, you're short with your family, you may have gotten angry uh, with, with them or your coworkers. You failed to read your Bible, you didn't pray a bit. Do you feel in those days that you've let God down and you could no longer come to him because of it? You see, Bridges helpfully points out right up front with something that I want us to be encouraged by at the beginning of the sermon and then to continue to be encouraged by throughout the sermon. He says this, Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. Did you hear that? And then he says, Your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. But we can forget these basic things, can't we? We can forget our first love sometimes. And though the good news is so very, very good, and it's impossible to forget, right? Somehow, though, Christians can have A kind of gospel amnesia, as Paul Tripp put it. And we can forget, can't we? If we're honest. And the glorious message of the gospel can float right out of our minds and be replaced with something far less than the good news that we first believed. And we can swerve and sway away from the miraculous faith that we had when we were converted and sometimes move on from the hearing with faith to going our own way and doing our own thing. This leads us to our text this morning and a new chapter in our series in chapter three where we will see this very same problem that Paul addresses to the churches of Galatia and we'll see his correction of this problem. So, Look with me the first part of Galatians three as we see our first point and number one, gospel hearing, spirit receiving, and we're gonna look at Galatians three in verses one and two here up front. Paul says this to the churches of Galatia O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Gospel hearing, Spirit receiving. If you remember, the Apostle Paul began his letter in chapter one showing his audience that he meant business and that he was astonished that they were so quickly abandoning the gospel that he had preached to them before when he came to them. Now, after defending his apostleship in the first few chapters and giving his testimony and remember rebuking Peter and company, remember we saw that in chapter two, he comes back to the same theme, but what does he do? He picks it up a notch, doesn't he? Now he comes back to the Galatian churches and calls them, what, a bunch of fools. Imagine that for a greeting card. When you go to the store, you see the wedding section, the thank you cards, the birthday cards. Then you go down the aisle a little bit and you pick a card from the place that apparently the Apostle Paul chose his card, the smack talk section, or the insult section. Uh, Thank you so much, one card would say. Happy birthday, another card. We are grieved for your loss, or happy anniversary. And then you come to this section, and you see you're such a loser. (laughs) You are an idiot, dear, stupid person, the card would say. (laughs) Uh, Of course, I'm joking a little bit here, but notice that Paul called them foolish. Or as one paraphrase of the passage by J.B. Phillips put it, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, surely you cannot be so idiotic. Or the Revised English Bible put it, you stupid Galatians. Now hear this, Paul wasn't simply name-calling here. I want to be clear. He was pointing out, though, their spiritual dullness and their slumber to wake them up, to kind of pour cold water into their faces. Why? Because Paul cared so deeply about these dear Christians that he once preached the gospel to not that long ago. Or as Terry Johnson put it, he says, "They They have been mindless. They have failed to think consistently. Logically and biblically, they have embraced a doctrine of salvation that makes the cross of Christ unnecessary, as was demonstrated at the end of Galatians chapter 2. Remember, we saw that. If you rely on the works of the law, what? Christ died needlessly. Their doctrine here was foolish. It was dangerous. And as Johnson said, He says it was irrational. So not only were they being spiritually foolish, we also see that they were evidencing that they had been hoodwinked or duped or bewitched, as this passage says. You see, it was unthinkable to Paul that these dear Christians who so warmly received his gospel message to start believing things that were direct contradictions to what he had taught them before. I'd imagine for those of you who are teachers or who have ever taught before and have experienced the the joys and heartaches and challenges of trying to reach uh, your students' hearts and minds with everything that you have for them, you've experienced a little bit of this puzzling thing. You've been dumbfounded before. You've been beside yourself. You, you work with teenagers, middle schoolers, or high schoolers. You've experienced something like this as a teacher or, or as a parent. You work with them and teach them some key principles and rules of the classroom, okay? You might think, even in, in your teaching and the way that you connected with them, that you deserved an award for the way that you instructed those young men and women's minds and hearts. Man, you should get a pat on the back because that little conversation or that little teaching moment or that little pep talk was so great. Only for them, weeks later or days later, after all that progress, only for them to do something so foolish and unthinkable that you wondered yourself, Was he or she even listening to a word that I said? Was all that good progress just a lie? Did they come under some kind of spell? And sometimes we can think of that about young people at times, right? That's a little bit like what Paul was experiencing here. But but here's the thing. This bewitching is not funny or lighthearted at all. It's actually demonic. Think of this. As Luther put it, this bewitching, he says then, and this sorcery is nothing else but a plain illusion of the devil. The word there connects to dark things, demonic things, okay? He goes on to say, the devil printing in the heart a false opinion of Christ and against Christ, and he that is deluded with this opinion is bewitched. They, therefore, that have this persuasion that they are justified by works of the law or the traditions of men are bewitched, For this persuasion is clean contrary to the faith of Christ. It's a godless, demonic thought that was getting into the minds and hearts of these people. Or as John Piper put it, when he says this, he says he means that they are acting as someone cast a spell on them. It's as if they have been hypnotized. They are irrational, out of touch with reality, mentally drunk. So far from name-calling, okay? This is not name-calling on the playground. Paul is dead serious in warning and calling out believers to wake them up for their slumber. Out of their deceived state, away from this satanic thinking. This is serious. I I think of the cartoons being hypnotized and the swirling eyes, right? Whether it's a snake or... I don't know, a cat or whatever in the cartoons. They were hypnotized, right? You get the point. They had been deceived. And Paul sternly warns them here as a good pastoral figure, not name-calling, but rebuking them. Sometimes Christians need to be rebuked and warned and challenged to confront and to be confronted and changed. That's That's just the truth. We need that. There's nothing more serious than the gospel, and any deviation away from it warrants urgent appeal. I hope you can see that all over the scriptures. And I hope you can see that he cares so much because these were genuine Christian converts. They heard the gospel and believed it. Paul preached it to them. He knew by very direct testimony. So think about it, church, and be warned by this. If Paul's converts can drift away and be fooled and swept up and hypnotized into believing and living falsehood, you better believe that we're all in jeopardy to potentially do the very same thing in our Christian life as well. Take this sober warning into your your heart, into your life. You might be thinking here, these Galatians were probably some like weak sauce Christians. Maybe they were uh, just kind of tuning out the gospel when Paul preached to them. Maybe their profession of faith was suspect. You might be tempted to think that, but that's not what we're seeing here in Galatians. Not at all. It says that Paul preached to them in such a powerful way. We're talking about an apostle He preached in such a powerful way that it was as if they witnessed the actual crucifixion of Jesus Christ before their eyes through his powerful preaching to them. They believed the real and true gospel. They had a powerful encounter with God's word from Paul. It said that they received the Holy Spirit through his vivid preaching of the gospel when they simply heard his message and believed. These are real deal Christians. They had heard and had faith, not, not works of the law initially, not their own goodness, nothing like that. The preaching was powerful, and they were converted. I hope you can see how powerful preaching can be from these first two verses. Is the vividness of the crucifixion, they were transformed. They were, they, they were genuine believers. These Galatians, they believed not Jesus initially, not Jesus and circumcision, Not Jesus and Sabbath keeping. Not Jesus and holy days. Not Jesus and food laws. That's not what they believed at first. No, they simply believed the good news of the gospel crucified for them. Jesus died for them and they received the Holy Spirit. These were real deal Christians. Now what in the world went wrong with them, you might ask? They had Paul as their preacher. They had the true gospel message. They received the Holy Spirit when they first believed. What could go wrong with a picture like that? This leads us now to our second point for this. And number two, living by the Spirit through faith. Let's continue on in Galatians 3 now, in verses 3 through 5, for this. He says, again... Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supply the Spirit to you and works of miracles among you do so with works, by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Living by the Spirit through faith. This point here picks up the language, if you recall, from our last sermon titled Justified Living, where we saw in verse 20 of chapter 2, Paul say this, and look in your, the Bible there in chapter 2 and verse 20, or on the screen, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see that, right? I live by faith. Paul lives by faith. The Galatians were being called back to live not by their works, what? But by faith. But we see something here in chapter three and be looking at this section here um, to see the additional aspect that Paul brings out here uh, as it relates to the Christian life. We saw the last time that it is by faith or through faith. But but I hope you can see here and have noted already what he's added to the equations in here in chapter three. He's added, he's added the presence of the Holy Spirit that the Galatians received. When they first believed. You see that here in these verses. And he already stated in verse two that they had received the Holy Spirit when they believed, but now he reminds them in verse three that they seem to have abandoned the Spirit to then go on and go their own way, according to their own flesh. They abandoned God, the Holy Spirit, when they decided to go it alone, to do it on their own. Let's see it. It's on the screen for you to see right now again. in in verse three of chapter three, are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do Do you see that contrast there? Now, does it seem wise? Does it seem smart to you? The flesh versus the spirit, them versus God, works versus faith, Does that transition, does that abandonment seem smart? (laughs) Not at all, at all. It seems like a really bad bargain or a foolish and bewitched choice for them. And if you think that and if you're seeing that yourself, then you're agreeing with the Apostle Paul at the problem here in the Galatian churches. But notice that these Christians here in the churches, they started right. Do you see that? but then they deviated from their good start. They began trusting the gospel, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and living by faith. But then what happened? Sadly, they did not continue living by the Spirit through faith, as the title of this point brings out. They didn't continue, and that was their problem. They decided to go a different way. They got bored with the gospel. Are you bored with the gospel? They thought they graduated from the good news of the gospel. They thought they needed something else. Where are you in your Christian life? If they did this after hearing the powerful preaching of Paul, we just need to just be on the edge of our seats and examining our hearts and, and ensuring that, that we don't go this way because we're in danger uh, even as genuine Christians of swerving here. So I wanna encourage you not to get prideful in the Christian life or trust in your own works. I don't want you to abandon that gospel ship that you jumped onto when you first believed. Don't move away from the spirit and faith to your own doing and your own earning. Don't Don't do that. And hear this, Christians, we need the gospel in our daily lives. This is something that in the last table talks in last fall, those of you who were with us, we saw hammered over and over again as we considered getting the gospel right as we looked at Milton Vincent's book, A Gospel Primer, which was just a devotional type of book with multiple reasons of preaching the gospel to yourself, even as mature Christians. Many reminders for us to remind ourselves of this good news, to not drift away from it, to not go away from it. Christians, did you know that you will need the gospel of Jesus Christ and his righteousness just as much on your deathbed, even as much as when you first believed? You don't somehow earn a life of favor and deeds that you get to take with you after you're converted. Uh, that, that, that somehow you're earning your place before the Lord and you have to make your way. And yeah, you don't do that. You don't add to your account as it relates to justification. The judge has already spoken when you first believe, the hammer has already come down. You are justified. It's God who justifies us. You are dependent upon that justification just as much as your first conversion, as when you've grown in maturity, your whole entire. Life, we need to cling to the grace of God our whole lives and not move on, move on to other things. We need His grace. We're desperate for His grace. You might be thinking, though, at this point, what in the world is all the good things that God calls us to actually for? What about our need to preach the gospel to others or to serve? Or to come and gather and go to church and to help the needy. Does all of that just not count for anything at all in this matter? Well, of course it all matters. Those things are good works as we've seen before that God has planned for you. But but you see, those good things that we might do, they do not add to that declaration of justified that you had when you first believed. Those things are not done in order to get you right before God. You move from being right with God and you move out of grace and thankfulness and gratitude into all these things. You don't do all these things or go to all these things in order to make yourself right and justified before God. That will never work. And if you're relying upon these kinds of things, it either means you don't know the gospel or it means you've forgotten the gospel like these Galatians Uh, in these churches and moved on from the gospel like they did. All these religious practices and deeds in the Christian life is not to be done with a kind of earning before God. We are not performing and storing up credit to get ourselves to heaven. We already get heaven when we first believe. And it frees us to live a life glorifying to God from that moment by the Spirit with faith. I want to encourage us to live in that way and not go this other way because it's so devastating. It's so confusing. We lose our way. We, we doubt. We get confused. We, we show something different than the gospel when we do that kind of thing don't want us to rely upon our own fleshly doing and performance and deeds. Look, Paul even points out that the Galatians suffered persecution after they believed due to their faith and even witnessed miraculous deeds done among them. And Paul reminds even them, with all that wonderful stuff happening, that it's not because of their earning and doing of fleshly works that somehow produced all that kind of stuff. He tells them that all the religious activity and practice is fueled by faith in God and the gospel, and the same goes for me and you. There's nothing that we can do to earn and produce any of it. And if we're trying to earn and produce by our own works, we will have abandoned the gospel and done it all for nothing, even as Paul suggests here. Because that kind of thing is a anti-Christ, christ gospel approach to the Christian life. I don't want that for any of us. I want to call us back from this. They suffered persecution filled with the Spirit and faith. They experienced even miracles done by God. Miracles amongst them. You could read miracles in the book of Acts that were done by the Spirit. I mean, it is the height of arrogance and blind pride and narcissism to think that God Supplied the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in these miracles was somehow attributed to their own works or something like that. No, not at all. It's all by grace through faith in Christ alone by the spirit through faith it has nothing to do with the galatians fleshly works that god was doing these miraculous things the same thing in your life the great things that you're seeing has nothing to do with your wonderful works and how you've earned or anything no by the spirit hearing through faith and paul puts it all down on paper for them And I have to believe that all these rhetorical questions in these first five verses, asking all these basic, obvious questions that the Galatians would have known the answers to, and that he was using that like like the glass of cold water, splashing it into their face so that they would see how far that they've fallen away from the gospel, and that they'd be won over and returned back. I would believe that those true Christians here would believe and see and recognize and repent, just as Peter and Barnabas and the others repented when Paul rebuked them, as we saw in chapter 2. I believe that these Christians here in Galatia, the genuine ones, were going to hear this letter, see this letter from Paul, read it amongst themselves, and they were going to be turned back to the glorious truths of the gospel that they once believed, that they were going to be awakened by the, the truths of this letter, and they'd be turned back to the truth of the gospel, those who were believers awakened back to the simple yet powerful gospel of hearing with faith and not by works of the law. And I hope that these truths would also inspire you, dear Christians here at First Baptist Church, inspire you to continue to cling to that spirit within you and continue to hear with faith. And this leads us now to our final point and third point, where Paul gives his clincher argument. He rebukes them, as we just saw, multiple times, calling them foolish even. Then he asks them a bunch of obvious questions, softball-type questions, to kind of shake them up and recognize, uh, for them to recognize the truth again and the ways they've drifted. Now we see here in this third point where Paul gives the, the clincher argument, the rebuke, And he deals with this topic of justification using a well-known Old Testament patriarch as an example. Number three here, as you see it on the screen, is Abraham's hearing with faith. Let's read it from the text so we can see this argument ourselves that Paul gives. He says in verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Know then that it is those of the faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The false teachers who were involved in negatively trying to erase all that Paul had done in these churches in Galatia, all that he had established with his gospel, who had been used by the devil himself to bewitch and cause the Galatian believers to be foolish and abandon the gospel. You know what those false teachers were actually saying? We've seen this before. They were teaching that you had to go back to the Old Testament, Old Covenant laws and to keep the works of the law to enter the people of God through their religious practices uh, or practice of circumcision, which was kind of like for them a a religious badge of honor or an entrance pass to get into the people of God. That's what they were teaching. And so Paul, in his response to them as he's correcting them, he's like, you want to talk the Old Testament? You want to talk the heroes of the faith? He's like, I've already handled the Jerusalem bigwig apostle Peter and had to correct him with the gospel and won Peter over, right? Peter was living inconsistently. He's already addressed that. And he's already dealt with these false teachers and their infatuation with these other Jerusalem apostles uh, who, who lived and walked with Jesus. And he's, he dealt with that in chapter 2. But now Paul ramps it up a little bit and he adds to his arsenal against the false teachers who had bewitched the Galatians. He brings up who? He brings up Father Abraham himself. And he shows that contrary to their teaching, these false teachers' teaching, that not even, not even Father Abraham was justified by works of the law. Not even him You may have heard people say things like the Old Testament believers were justified by all their works and keeping of the law. But but let me show you here, in Paul's point, that is never how people have been made right or justified before God, ever. Even in the garden after the fall, God promises a future savior that would crush sin and Satan. And he was going to do that, and he did that through Christ. Christ. In the Psalms and the Proverbs, God declares over and over again that he desires mercy, not sacrifice. It's regularly pointing towards the whole Bible is moving towards Jesus. Those laws were to point people to a Savior, as Hebrews tells us. None of the law was able to save ever. Everyone, even the Old Testament believers, even Abraham himself, knew and were reliant upon the grace of God to save them. They were dependent on God's unmerited grace. That's always been how God has worked. And this is Paul's point. And to prove it, Paul says here in in Romans 4, that Father Abraham, who did many good works, remember, even willing to sacrifice his own son, um, we, we see in, we're going to see Romans 4 in a minute, but we see in our daily Bible reading, those of us who are in, in Genesis right now, we see that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son. That's how much faith he was. But we know even, even with all of his faith and then even willing to do these works, we know that even Abraham was justified by grace through faith. And that even Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as Righteousness. This here in Galatians, that was a direct quote from Genesis 15, 6 that was pronounced on Abraham when he believed God's promise. Was Abraham's belief before or after he was circumcised? This is a very relevant point, right? Because if Abraham was justified after his circumcision then these Judaizers, these false teachers can appeal and say, see, I told you so. Circumcision is necessary. But let's see here, as I mentioned Romans 4 already uh, in verses 10 through 12 for the answer about when Abraham was circumcised. It says this in verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? Do you see that question? It's the same one that we're thinking of now. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Do you see the parallel there in Romans to what we're seeing right here in Galatians? Both Jews and Gentiles are declared righteous before God in the same exact way. You realize that before Abraham was confronted by God, he was just a Gentile like everybody else. This former Abraham, prior to him even being circumcised or having the law or anything of that nature, this this former heathen, this wanderer, before the children, before the law, before all of that, before he had done all of that, he was saved by what? Grace through faith. So is everybody. This is so important for us to see. And we are all engrafted into the family of God, even as we're going to see later in Galatians. And spiritually, we become children of God through faith. We Gentiles, non-Jewish Christians, are Abraham's children through faith like his. By believing, by simply believing. God's plan of salvation, I want us to see here, it's the same plan in the Old Testament and into the New. It becomes clearer and clearer all the way into the New Testament until we see Jesus, but it was the same plan God was moving towards this. Salvation by grace through faith alone. The good news of the gospel for Jews and Gentiles through faith is the message that even Abraham heard and trusted. We see here in Galatians 3 that the nations would even be blessed, which is a fulfillment of Genesis 12, not by works, but by justification through faith in Jesus Christ. That was anticipated way back when in Genesis, in the Old Testament. Get this, Christians. We who are here that are Gentiles are a fulfillment of that foretold blessing, that gospel blessing. I want you all to rejoice that your salvation was planned a lot longer ago than when you're sitting here in this room or when you were even born. God was working these things out in amazing ways, saving his people all along and had you in mind, had us in mind before the foundation of the world, not by works but by grace through faith. What a wise God. What amazing God. This is how God has always worked. This is what he cared for. This is what he planned. And as Father Abraham, as the kid, the kid song goes, had many sons, had many sons, had Father Abraham, we realize that we are all sons and daughters if we share the same faith of Abraham's belief and trust in God prior to any good works that we might ever end up doing. So here's my question to you, church. Do you want to avoid the foolish, stupid, bewitched error of the Galatians? I know I do. I know I want to heed the warnings that we're seeing here. Do you want to stop relating to God on the roller coaster of your ever-changing daily experiences and performance? The answer, and I hope you saw it from our text, is to hear the word of God with faith, the same wonderful, miraculous faith and trust that God granted you when you first believed. Keep trusting and believing and hearing God's word, church. Keep looking to God who works in us to will and to do. Keep close realization of the work of the Holy Spirit in you when you receive when you were first saved. Don't neglect and turn away from the Spirit that that you received when you were saved, and towards your own fleshly working and doing and performing. Don't relate to God in that way. Don't either pridefully or presumptuously try to live the Christian life on your own. It just will not work. That's the take home from this text. If you begin in the spirit and then seek perfection in the flesh, you are only being foolish and spellbound by a demonic idea that the Galatian believers themselves were duped into believing and had to be rescued back to God from. Would you hear the word once again this morning with faith? The same way that you heard it when you first believed. Would you commit yourself to coming to church and hearing the word and Bible studies and worship services and, and mornings and evenings? Would you hear the word of God with faith with me? The word of Christ crucified, hung on a tree, beaten and bloodied, suffering, grasping for air. His blood came down his face from the crown of thorns, suffering for these very things, for your very sins, bleeding for your trespasses, dying for you, dear Christian. Would you trust this gospel message that was preached beforehand to Father Abraham? Would you hear it with faith, like he heard it with faith? And if you do, and if you have, continue hearing it with faith. Don't stop. Don't graduate to something else. Don't fall back. Good day or bad day. Cling to the gospel of Jesus Christ for you in all circumstances. Trust in Jesus, church. But if you've never trusted our great God and his gospel, if you've never believed in the crucified Savior hung on a tree, practically stapled to a tree for you, I hope you would turn to this Savior and experience what every other believer in this room and every other believer throughout all history, even all the way back to Father Abraham, has experienced, to have your sins forgiven and to have God count you as righteous based on his grace alone on the work of his son on the cross alone and I want to leave you with as I close with Romans chapter 4 again but in verses 1 through 5 which sums up really everything that we've been seeing this far and it gives an appeal to every last one of us in this room to cling to Christ to trust in his work alone, to not boast in your own works. I want to leave you here with Romans 5 here. Hear with me with faith in closing, church. Hear with me with faith. The Apostle Paul says this, what shall we say was gained by Abraham? You see the connection of what we're talking about. Our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as is due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we are all ungodly, Christians coming here before you seeking your undeserved grace and favor and forgiveness. We're thankful, Lord, that you save us not by what we do because we don't do what is necessary. Lord, help us all to to abandon works of the law or abandon our own way and to continue to cling to you through faith. Help us to hear. Help us to apply with faith. Would you be working in every believer's heart in this room to apply these truths to their hearts so that they would live with freedom, that they would live with faith, that they would live with trust in you alone and not their own works? And would you call those of you, uh, those who have not believed, God, would you call them to you so that they would believe and be saved by grace through faith in your son, Jesus Christ? We say this in Christ's name.